Welcome to Pieces of a Woman. I'm Christy. And I'm Deanna. We are so happy you're here today for part two of an inside look at domestic violence. This week, we're going to focus a little bit more and hear about what is going on with teen domestic violence. The numbers are kind of staggering that one in 10 teens will experience dating violence, which that number kind of shocks me frankly. But we'll also hear Natalie's story where she comes in and tells us where she is today. Yeah. So she gives us some highlights on what's going on with her and her children 10 years later after her ex-husband went to prison. So thank you for listening to today's episode. Hi, I'm Deanna Robbins. And I'm Christy North. Welcome to Pieces of a Woman podcast, where we explore all the pieces that make up a woman, mind, body, and soul. We are two everyday women who have survived, thrived, been defeated, humbled, and spent our lives committed to embracing all complexities of being a woman. This podcast is dedicated to all women, all women searching for real conversations. We are gonna be exploring everything from sexuality, aging, menopause, physical and mental health, spirituality, marriage, divorce, and blended families. Everything is on the table, except politics. Every episode will be committed to engaging conversations that will include interviews with influential women, leaders, healers, authors, and good friends. Thank you for taking this journey with us. I want to ask you, Natalie, and um, feel free, Aaron and Melissa, to jump in on this. But you know, some listeners, and I, and I would probably categorize them as a different generation, prior generations, where they think that the I'm, I'm just going to speak to women because I know that it's both sides. I know that you can have abuse on the other side as well, but I'm going to speak to women in this. The ignorance of that a woman can just choose to get out of this, and why are they not? just removing themselves from it. And we know that's not how it works. So I want to talk about that. I also want to follow it up with what would you tell a woman that is in a situation where they just don't know where to turn and they don't know how to get out of it. If we could go back to that initial, who would like to speak to that? I'm happy to jump in. What you said, Christy, it just couldn't be more true that it's not easy to get out of that situation. And I think that one of the things that you talked about, Natalie, was when the Halloween incident happened and you heard from his sister and you hadn't heard anything in a while, like things had seemed to have been going okay. And I think that's so often what we see in these situations that there are many times, even if when the people, when the relationship is still intact, there's many good times. If it was bad all the time, if if you had still been hearing from him in an abusive or harassing way, of course you wouldn't have said yes about the Halloween incident. You know, I mean, it's like these situations are not cut and dry. They're not black and white. There's a lot of um, nuance and a lot of good things that we see in the people who are causing the harm. And when you were talking early on in the relationship that you were trying to help him through some things and help him deal with some things in his family, I think that's also really common. We We see that people's lives are complicated and you care about the person and you want to help them. And you see that, that they're struggling with things and, and you just frankly love that person. And I think we forget that when we say, Oh, just leave or what's the matter with her. Why would this person stay in this abusive relationship? And in the most relationships, it's not even abusive most of the time, but when it is, of course it feels horrible. And when it isn't, 
you're questioning your own kind of experience and what maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And they're just really struggling. And I can't, if I really love him, I wouldn't just leave when he's having a hard time. And I think we just need to recognize that all the complications and emotions that we all have in every relationship in our life, don't just go away because someone from the outside might see it as abusive, that all of those complications are still there. And, and I, I really appreciate that Natalie points out that the reaction from the system and from the community and from others around her was just as or more traumatic than the abuse, because I, I really want people to walk away feeling like they have the power to, to not do that, to not add to the trauma when they're hearing about these things. And the first thing that they can do is not say, why don't you just leave or what's wrong with you? They can ask those questions about what happened to you and have some compassion and some empathy and try to put themselves in that person's shoes and just support them no matter what rather than assuming that, that, you know, better and, and just do everything you can to not add to the trauma that person's going through. I've gone off on a tangent now, but no, you're good. <laughs> did you want to add to that, Melissa? No, I think Aaron did a great job. Although I, I will add, um, as far as reasons for not leaving beyond what Aaron expressed, which was wonderful and so valid. Um, but sometimes there are other complicating factors. I mean, such as fear, um, what will happen to my children if I leave? Uh, do I have the, the income to support them on my own or do I lose that if I leave? Uh, where are we going to live? Is a shelter an option for us? Do we? I mean, shelter is often an option of last resort for people. No one wants to go to a shelter or take their kids to a shelter, but some people don't have the resources um, or the safety to go other places. You know, maybe I could go stay with my mom, but if my abuser knows where my mom is, Maybe he's going to hurt me and her. And I brought her into a dangerous situation. So, yes, uh, there's so many complicating factors. And to go back to what to what January shared, um, asking people, you know, what happened um, and to, to add in what you said a moment ago, Aaron, you know, what do you need? How can I help you? How can I support you is the first place to start and not judging someone or assuming that, you know, their situation for any reason at all. And Natalie, I'll have you kind of wrap that piece up with you know, what would you tell another woman that is in the middle of it and knows they need to make a change and what helped you and what advice could you give them? Um, I just, I didn't want my kids to have that upbringing. I didn't want them to follow that same path and I didn't want that normalized for them. They know if they ever mistreat someone, mom is coming after them, but you have to break the cycle or it's, it's normalized and it's hard. I, I tell people it's like trying to leave a gang. You can't just leave. But if, and my kids tell me now, like, because I've always tried to be like, do you want a relationship with your dad's family? Do you want to see your grandparents? Do you want, like, I want that to be you guys' choice. And my son's always telling me, mom, could you imagine the people we'd be if we had contact with them? And he just reassures me, like, I would be a totally different person. And kids are smart. They will figure it out at a very young age if you just show them the right path. They, they're amazing. They're smarter than we give them credit for. But just keep fighting. Go get a job. Go to college. You can do it on your own. It's way easier to raise your kids than raise a man-child abuser. So thank you. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm so sorry you've had to endure that and go through that. But 
Boy, what a what an inspiration you are. We would love to dive into um, and Aaron and you guys can probably tell us, Melissa, tell us what are we really want to dive into what is going on in the teen world as far as domestic violence. And I know that it's both sides. It's males and females um, that are experiencing uh, violence. How common is it? And I mean, how common is it first? And then dive into, are there warning signs that a parent may see that, hey, this might be a problem? Because I know a lot of times dating starts. I mean, when I was looking at the CDC website, they have a whole section on dating matters and it focuses on 11 to 14 year olds. But their reference was one in 10 teens will experience dating violence. That seems so high. Is that seem correct? I did not come prepared with statistics on oh, this one today. I don't know, Erin, if you did. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's, that's okay. okay. This is a na- you know the CDC national site. So I just I found that alarming. And I will say, my daughter's now thirty one. She, when she was in high school, started dating a fellow that the relationship just started seeming toxic. And because I had some past experience, I just wasn't familiar with it happening while you were dating. And I had to pull her aside and say, every time you get done seeing him, you're crying. This is not okay. But what are you guys seeing? Yeah, teen dating violence, it would not surprise me one bit if that number is correct. And again, with any statistic, especially statistics that are tied to reporting and reporting of human interaction, we know those are going to be low. Um, There's a lot, a lot that goes unreported. Um, But when we're talking about teen dating violence, there, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, and one of it is kids are figuring it out. They're just starting to date, you know, what's acceptable, what's not, what's my role in this relationship, um, what's healthy, what's not healthy. And they're bringing some of, of their lives at home and their upbringing, because that's all they know into the relationship. You know, as children, the, the world around us, I mean, that is our world. And oftentimes we don't understand that the person next door or down the street, that their world looks different than ours. And so, you know, someone who grows up in a, in a healthy family, such as Natalie, you know, had ideas about what she wanted in a relationship and what was healthy, even if at your, in your teenage years, you weren't able to pinpoint what those were. Um, you had that example set for you. And then there are other people who's whose norm is set at a different level. You know, they may not recognize a healthy or unhealthy relationship and maybe even recognize or normalize unhealthy things, you know, like to love someone, you tear them down, but then you build them up again and then you tear them down or whatever lesson it is that they learn from watching their parents or guardians or the folks around them. Um, And so kids bring that into their relationships too. And so, you know, what we know is that most people, and and if we're going to look at um, male-female relationships, most men are not abusive to women. But the men who are, or the perpetrators, the people who are, they tend to be abusive to partner after partner after partner. And so these behaviors are developed early and often from from what kiddos are, are witnessing around them. Now, just because someone grew up in a home where they experienced that or witnessed that or didn't, such as Natalie, as we heard from Natalie's story, doesn't mean that they are going to go and perpetrate domestic or dating violence on someone or that they're going to be able to avoid it. Unfortunately, um, there's nothing that can determine 
whether someone is or isn't going to be in a relationship like that. So don't don't think that I'm trying to say that people who experience it perpetrate it and people who don't get away because that's not how that works. But with kiddos, they're starting to date, they're starting to figure it out, they're emulating what they're seeing at home. And especially, especially for kids who, who maybe don't have the support or the resources or the guidance to, to help them navigate that complicated, hormonally crazy situation of being a teenager and, and dating. There's just a whole lot, a whole lot for, for any child that they may just not recognize or they take as normal or, you know, their friends excuse or their abuser excuses it. And then they think it's okay. Um, a lot of internalization that goes on as well with, oh, well, you know, this must have been my fault. I can do better. Um, you know, a lot of the same things that we do see in adult relationships, but developing early and happening early on. And again, with kiddos not always understanding what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, there can be a lot of um, excuses made and a lot of um, peer pressure to to behave a certain way, whether it's to not stand up for yourself or not stand up for someone else, um, to excuse that negative behavior or sometimes to even perpetrate it, you know, how how kids can egg each other on or um, maybe would would not feel the same need to act in, in a way if they were by themselves, but they do when they're around their friends. So like anything, a lot of complicating factors, but that, that kind of behavior does develop early. And there's kind of some fuel to the fire, if you will, just because kiddos are, are figuring it out. Their hormones, um, their identity, all of those things. And, you know, Natalie, you talk about some red flags in the beginning where you started to isolate um, your, your kind of the power piece that was play, coming into play initially. And I, so I'm curious if you guys could speak to some red flags that we can identify with our youth. Um, also, you know, women that are just starting to date um, a new person, what are some things that they can be aware of as they're learning new relationships? Yeah, I think um, the, I wrote this down when Natalie was talking. I mean, I think it's the number one red flag that we um, talk to, to kids and adults about is that isolation piece. Natalie, at one point you said something about, um, I didn't have any friends anymore. He had convinced me that, you know, we just needed each other. And I think there's some cultural messages there too, you know, especially as Melissa was talking about with people starting new relationships and figuring out how this whole relationship thing works. I think it's getting better, but you know, I started this work 22 years ago and it was really hard to find a Disney movie, for example, that wouldn't have reinforced that message that Natalie was getting from, from her ex around, we only need each other. I mean, how often is that kind of the cultural message about what love is and what relationships are about? And I think, um, that's one of the things that when I used to do education in middle and high schools, it's, we would talk about all the time is if, if you're, day-to-day -day life is dramatically different. You're not seeing the people you used to see. You're not doing the things you used to do before you met this person. Of course, you're going to try new things. You're going to do new hobbies or whatever. It's not to say nothing will change because you're in this relationship. But if, if you wouldn't recognize yourself and kind of, and who you're able to spend time with and not, that's a huge red flag. And I think um, whether the person's doing it consciously or not, they're isolating you because that makes you that much more vulnerable to do what they want you to do only. And I think that's always the first thing that I that I talk about with red flags. And then as we talked about earlier, if you're fearful of the person, if you're needing to hide information or keep secrets from them, um, if you 
obviously if there's any kind of physical abuse, I think that's something to really take seriously early on. Um, but I think some of the, the fear piece, and if you feel like you're not able to do and be with the people that you want to, um, that's the biggest red flag to look for and start asking yourself some questions. So when we were dating years ago, um, <laughs> you know, we just, we didn't have the obvious apps and the quick access to meeting people that we didn't know. We were typically, you know, meeting people through others. We were also, you know, parties and different things like that. So it's a little bit more common for us to engage in relationships quickly without knowing more about the person. And so um, what is your message on background checks? Because I recognize that you're not always going to have something show up on a background check, but I feel like it's something more people are doing in addition to Googling. And what are your thoughts on that? And do you recommend it with in this day and age um, with how dating is? And again, going back to that, learning a new person and their behaviors. I would love to hear what Natalie has to say about this since you have teenagers <laughs> coming into this. I think it's, it's so much more complicated now. And I'm so glad there weren't apps when I was dating. But um, getting into this kind of work, I started Googling everyone. I wanted a background check on everyone. I mean, why not? You're trying to figure out what the what's up with this person. So I'm not saying this is in any way like a research-based answer, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that when, when you're trying to figure someone out. And I mean, might not be the worst thing to ask them or tell them that you're doing it, but, um, right. but yeah, I mean, it's so, it's such a different world now. So I don't know, Natalie, I'm so glad I'm not a mom. You, what do you tell your kids? <laughs> I have two teenagers and I know I'm not the only one that's raised teenagers, right? Right. Like from age 13 to 15, I hear after 15, it gets better, but they're so like erratic and hormonal. And I, I just think moving too quick and wanting to spend all your time together and not apart with family or friends or whatever, and doing your own interests. Like if you have to be together every single second of every single moment, that's a red flag. And yeah. another thing I didn't understand back then too, was I didn't know anything about mental illness and my ex has been diagnosed with rapid cycling bipolar. And I hear all the time his family is like telling people he had taken Ambien. He was on something, but his toxicology reports were completely clean. Teenagers don't understand mental illness. So they're not going to know, you know, why is this person crying all the time? Why does this person have like major mood swings, things like that? So I talk to my kids about things like that. And I also tell my son's dating you know, like you guys need time apart. She needs to go with her friends. You need to go with your friends. You need to do things apart. That's healthy. And I don't care how mad you ever get. You never raise your hand to anybody. You know, I hear a lot of, I was provoked. I was provoked to hit her or whatever. No, that's absolute crap. If you feel like you need to hurt someone because you're that mad, then you need some help. Yeah. So those are red flags. I teach my kids. My daughter, I don't want her dating yet, <laughs> but my son, he's, he's almost 18 and, you know, they're getting ready to graduate. And I'm like, she needs to go her way. You need to go your way. And then if you end up together, fine, but you both need to have space. Well, I think that's wonderful. I think it's telling parents they really need to have an open dialogue and talk about it because a lot of times I don't think necessarily that they just don't think about it. They don't think it could happen. 
And then all of a sudden their kids are dating and they're in a situation and they don't recognize it. And so I think it's just bringing awareness that it's out there. I mean, we look at several situations, uh, Lauren at the university of Utah, a couple of years ago, you know, dating violence, she lost her life, unfortunately. And I think it's a real thing and it's happening. It's more common than I think we think it is. And so I appreciate you talking about that. So what would you recommend just parents having open dialogue um, with their teens? We have so many open dialogues we have to talk about, but <laughs> with teenagers. I, it's such a big job. That's why it seriously takes an army and any good influence I can get in my kids' lives. I'm like, go for it because I can't think of every single thing. And but yeah, open dialogue, those hard, have those hard conversations. I don't care if they think it's weird or they're like, mom, knock it off. I'm like, no, you need to know these things. These are life lessons. Like you never know when you're going to deal with this. Or my daughter wants to ride her skateboard to town by herself. I'm like, no, there's a wooded area right there. And some creeper could be riding down the road. And she laughs like it's no big deal. And I'm like, I hear about this daily in Salt Lake, you know, we're you never know. You cannot go alone. So just putting your foot down because I was the teenager that fought with my parents. They were great parents, but they would just let me have my way because I was hard headed. Your kids are going to fight with you. They'll thank you one day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, Natalie, you alluded, you said something earlier in your story about you wanted to believe him and you felt sorry for him. And I think a lot of women, a lot of young girls have a tendency, our heart kind of goes ahead of our head a lot of times. And it's so easy to want to care for somebody and take care of them. And, oh, I'm going to help them through this. And so we'll accept behavior where our gut might be telling us one thing, but we tend to want to save people. Um, do you see that as well as being something to be aware of? Um, sorry. What was your, does that make sense? I mean, I guess what I'm saying is we yeah. want to be young girls want to be the caregiver. We want to believe everything they're saying and we're going to take care of them. And so we'll accept bad behavior because we want to believe that, that they love us and we can save them. And there's this other side to them. I mean, Aaron said earlier, there's, it's not always negative, right? In these relationships, there's so much good, but then there's this dark element to it. And I think for young girls who might be more, we kind of get caught up in the emotion of it instead of thinking clearly with our head, I guess is what I'm trying to say is I think that's common. And people, abusers like that, and it's, it's men and women. They're so charming and manipulative. And my ex is very good looking. And, and I do still have a heart. Like I know there's things from his childhood that shaped him the way he is. And my kids are like, why do you say that? Why are you even, you know, it does break my heart until, until you set foot in a prison and see all these people that made these bad choices. That was hell. Just infuriates me, infuriates me to just think you could have made an easy, different choice and now look where you are. And so it's hard not to feel bad for them because they've had these horrible things happen in their lives. but you have to be able to set healthy boundaries and teach your kids healthy boundaries and you can't fix people you no matter how hard you try they have to fix them and i won't let my kids be with someone that needs fixing <laughs> like they have <laughs> to try to navigate that they have to be happy with themselves you're not going to make them happy and they're not going to make you happy like you have to be happy first and then 
bring someone in your life because you won't change that person. And I, I always felt bad for him and didn't know how I was going to navigate those parole hearings and things. And I would just be like beside myself to go into prison. And then I would hear him lie and it would just bring me back. Like he has not changed. He has been in here this long and he is lying and he has not changed. And you just have to realize you're not going to change that person, no matter how sorry you feel for them or how much compassion you have. You got to wash your hands of it sometimes. I know you have this um, date that's coming up, putting that somewhere on the side. Tell us, where are you today? What work have you done to help you get to this place that you are today? I know you're remarried. Yeah, I just always, I went through a lot of depression, a lot of hard work. I mean, it's not an easy road. That's why you've got to have a support system and you go through the letdowns of people that aren't gonna step up to that and it's a hard thing for people to step up to but just I I literally had to put one step in front of the other for a lot of years just making myself go to work like a lot of church a lot of perspective from church was what helped me just knowing I was worth it and I could make a change and not be stuck there forever and I mean it took me 10 years and I still get there sometimes but you have to just make a choice. And my daughter's struggling right now. We just found out she has severe ADHD and it's like the same conversations I'm having with her. You can make a choice to be stuck in this spot or you can push through it and do things to help yourself and work hard and know it's not easy, but like no one can make you do it, but you. And my son gets frustrated with me that I'm not moving out of the country. <laughs> And I'm just like, I have made a choice that that's not going to run my life anymore. And we just got a German shepherd that's in police dog training. That dog will alert us if someone's around our house, will protect, at least give me time to get to my gun. I didn't, I had never shot a gun before that happened. I have my concealed carry permit now. I just, I have done things to prepare, but at the same time, it ran my life for so long. I don't want to be there anymore. I don't want to be stuck there anymore. Well, thank you again. Thank you for sharing your story. I walk away from this just thinking about all of the years. I, it's been what, 11 years? How many for years him? since since he went in? So been 11 or 12. 11 yeah. or 12 years. And that's not a long time. And you are demonstrating such um, such inspiration, I think, to your children, you're mentoring other women. And I um, congratulate you on where you're at today, which I know is still a lot of work um, to your husband for being there and support as supportive as he is. Um, I think that that's beautiful that you've been able to move forward in your marriage with that. So thank, thank you, you so much for sharing your story. And I would love for Melissa and Aaron to maybe help us um, kind of wrap up where we can direct people that may um, have some questions or just maybe some contact information to direct what, you know, what they need to know about your work. Yeah. So I, I would say the number one thing for people to walk away with is knowing that there, there is help, that they're not alone, that 
there's somewhere to turn. So if they're in Utah, the, the hotline um, in the number is 1-800-897-LINK. So that's 897-5465. Again, 24-7, completely free and confidential, and that will help. And then there's a national hotline as well. So um, that one is 800-799-7233 if folks are not in Utah, but there's so many resources, different languages, um, different connections to, to make sure that people can get help in their in their local community. And then I always just say to if you, if you know someone, if you have a loved one who you are worried about and and you think they're in an abusive relationship. And and again, I really encourage people to believe them, support them, not judge them, just do whatever they need to be to feel supported. And if you feel like they are in immediate danger, don't hesitate to pick up the phone and, and call 911. I know there's a lot of complicated feelings around how the police respond. I think over time that field is getting better responding to domestic abuse, but I just always want to make sure that people know that it is one of the most dangerous things that police respond to and not to hesitate to call them when, when you're really worried about someone's physical safety. Hey, well, we, you guys, thank you so much. We will definitely put all the links on our site and in our show notes and everywhere. And uh, we are definitely going to keep you in our thoughts and prayers, Natalie, because that date, I know that's hovering out there and I just admire your resilience and your courage and uh, to share your story. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys taking this time. So what do you do? I didn't even, we didn't ask, what do you do for the month of October that might be different than you do the rest of the year? I also know February is, uh, I guess it was named uh, Teen Domestic Violence Month. Um, but what do you guys do different in October? Any events we can support or be aware of? Uh, thanks for asking. Um, a little bit of the history there, and you're correct, February is Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. Uh, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Uh, Domestic Violence Awareness Month is the first one. It started in 1981. The National Coalition Against Domestic Violence started it as a day of unity. Uh, eventually, that evolved into a week, and then in 1987, um, it was observed for the first time as a month and has been October observed monthly observed nationally in the month of October um, since then. And it's an opportunity for, for communities, for advocacy organizations, for everyone to come together um, to uplift each other, to, to speak about this issue that so often remained in silence, uh, to share stories, provide resources, and really just raise awareness about something that, as you mentioned at the top of the the podcast, Deanna, affects one in three Utah women and one in four women nationally and one in six men. So, I mean, it's a very important but under underobserved, perhaps, um, issue. And so Domestic Violence Awareness Month um, is an opportunity, not that we don't do it all year long, but really to, to put the spotlight on it and to come together and provide education and awareness. And um, there are a lot of things going on across the state. In fact, more than I, I am going to share on the podcast. Instead, I'm going to direct folks to where they can find it. Um, there is a, a collaborative campaign called Stop the Violence Utah. Um, it's currently right now 10 of the domestic violence service providers across the state are, are collaborating on that. And so they are going to be... Um, doing a lot of spots throughout the month of October. Uh, the Grizzlies hockey team are going to uh, host us and, and promote us, I think on the 23rd of October, but it might be a day or two off. So check their schedule if you wanna participate in that. 
Um, and then of the 15 service providers across the state, they're all doing a lot of their own events too. Um, there are, are things from clothesline projects, which is our t-shirts decorated by survivors and sometimes loved ones with all kinds of messages um, expressing how they feel from, from hope to anger and um, poems and illustrations and everything in between. And it's a beautiful and powerful project that can often be found um, in different communities throughout the state. Um, a lot of folks are doing, you know, proclamations, tying purple ribbons around certain areas of town. So in October, if you start to see that purple and those ribbons, that's what's going on. Uh, there's a lot of educational opportunities, uh, virtual and um, some in person as well. So take your pick and whatever you're comfortable with. Um, but the best way to find these, these different kinds of events and to participate in something in your area is to find your local domestic violence service provider. So um, for folks in Utah, you can go to the um, Stop the Violence Utah uh, resource page and find, uh, there's a map of the different counties and you can find where your local service provider is. Um, generally for anybody, uh, no matter where you live, if you just go online and search for domestic violence service provider or domestic violence agency or something like that um, near me or in my city or my county, generally that's going to pop up something too. So there's a lot of different ways to, to find your local provider, to learn about the services that they offer, the events that they are, are doing um, this October, because they do put so much time and effort into uh, really providing for, for survivors and the communities themselves that they serve so much effort into uh, these events and opportunities. So please do go find your local service provider, look up what they're doing and support them. Oh, I so appreciate it. Well, I want to thank you all for being here. And I want to just do a just let our listeners know that if they or someone they know is being affected by domestic abuse, there is hope there are other people you're not alone. So I appreciate Aaron's words, you're not alone. And uh, we'll have all the resources if somebody needs to con be contacted. So thank you all so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think someone could benefit, please share. If there's a conversation you think we should be having or a topic that resonated with you, please let us know. You can engage and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Pieces of a Woman Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. If you listen to us on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and a comment. 